0: On Indigenous Peoples Day, the Detroit Indigenous Peoples Alliance passed a resolution in City Council renaming Detroit Waiyawatan, a word that articulates to the water. We acknowledge that Detroit occupies the contemporary and ancestral homelands of three Anishinaabe nations of the Council of Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Ottawa, and the Potawatomi. In 1807, through the Treaty of Detroit, those lands were taken from them and from the Wyandot Tribe. They are the original, current, and future stewards of the land we occupy. Up next, Authentically Detroit welcomes Malachi Barrett, Nishrat Rahman of Bridge Detroit, and photographer Sarah Beth Maney to discuss stories highlighting the housing crisis many Detroiters are up against. But first, this week's hot takes from ClickOnDetroit.com and BridgeDetroit.com. Detroit council member backs plan to eliminate property taxes. Keep it locked. Authentically Detroit starts after these messages. Hey, it's
1: Stephen Henderson from WDET and Bridge Detroit. If you love listening to Orlando and Donna's incisive interviews and conversations on the Authentically Detroit podcast... I hope you'll also listen to the podcast I host, Detroit Today, from WDET on Detroit's NPR station. Detroit Today is a daily podcast where I talk with community leaders, elected officials, and residents of Detroit, the region, and the state about politics and the values that animate our communities. Listen to Detroit Today every day on your favorite podcast app.
0: Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit in the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from Cass Corridor at the WDET studios. We are content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey, and thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people in the city of Detroit. We want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day, everyone. I'm flying solo today as Donna is on a much-needed and deserved vacation, but I'm lucky to be joined by three very special guest reporters, Malachi Barrett and Nisrat Rahman, and photographer Sarah Beth Maney. Welcome to Authentically Detroit, everybody. Yo. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. So I heard it's y'all's first time on the podcast. Y'all ready? Yeah. I really appreciate you all joining me. So it's Monday. There's a lot to be said about Monday. It's a little cold outside. I got on a turtleneck and a jacket because it was freezing over the weekend and today. But I'm really interested to hear from you all. How is this day finding you? SB, how you doing?
2: I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. You're
0: happy to be here? You have a lot of things to be happy about, don't you? I guess so. Yeah? There's some news (laughs) you want to share maybe?
2: Well, I guess I can't say I'm a staff photographer at the Detroit Free Press anymore because I just joined ProPublica as their first pew, pew, staff pew. photographer.
0: Excuse me, y'all heard that right. She is the very first staff photographer at ProPublica. You better stop being modest and humble and talk that real talk. That's what's <laughs> up. Thank you. How did that happen?
2: So it happened. Um, you know, I, I applied not really knowing what to expect, but um, I'm really excited to be there just because coming from Detroit and covering so many social justice issues, Mm. I'm able to continue covering that work that I really care about at ProPublica. And I get to stay in Detroit, so I'm really happy I love that for you.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Big congratulations to you. Malachi. how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. It's officially
1: fall. We went to Harvest Fest over the weekend on the Dequinter Cup. You were
0: right by my house. Yeah. We got rained on a little
1: bit, but it was nice. All the kids were out, so that was fun. Everybody was outside.
0: Mm -hmm. It was a fun time. Uh, what did you
1: eat? What did I eat? We had, I had a Philly cheesesteak. Uh, we had some slushies, uh, with some alcoholic content (laughs) to keep warm. So you you had a very adult weekend. Yeah. It was about survival at that point. (laughs) I needed needed to stay warm. I needed to forage. (laughs) I pulled all of my winter clothes out of the, you know, the big box that I got in my closet. So that's that's kind of like a symbolic
0: moment. So it's coming back. Yeah. Did anybody turn the heat on over the weekend, as my grandmother used to say, to knock the chill off, as you oh, did? Oh, you know
3: I
2: did. I'm from California, <laughs> so
0: I was cold. right. <laughs> how you doing?
3: I'm good. I'm cold. I'm enjoying this brisk fall weather. You know, I've got to pull out the sweaters and yeah. the boots and, and my fall jackets, but I'm excited.
0: All that jazz. I like... Sweater weather, as they yeah. said on SNL, sweater weather. Because you get to really sort of like layer and dress. And, and, you know, it's it's a fun time for me too. I don't like being cold though. Like yeah, no. I love how it looks. It's pretty mm-hmm. until all the leaves fall off. And then it's like, oh my gosh, when is spring coming? But I love seeing the change of seasons and all of the colors and all of that. It's Monday, y'all. I had a good day, I think. Yeah. It, you know, I spent the morning with... The new president and first woman president—can you believe that? Of Wayne State University, Dr. Kimberly Espy, um, and she—it was a roundtable of uh, black leaders here in the city of Detroit, bringing up issues to her that uh, we need her to focus on and you know be cognizant of. Had the opportunity to uh, do a segment at Local Four today and then work all day and then come here to see you beautiful people. So I'm excited. I want to give a shout out or early shout out to my co-host Donna Givens-Davidson, who is on a much needed vacation. So Donna is a polymath in that she runs Eastside Community Network, which is a place based nonprofit community development organization. She is a professor at Columbia University. Right. She is a mother, wife, grandma and all of the things. Right. And so I'm really, really glad that she is taking some time off. So y'all ready to get into it? Absolutely. Let's do it? All right. Let's get into it. It's time for hot takes where we run down some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit. And for hot takes, Detroit council member backs plan to eliminate Property taxes. This is by my friend and colleague Malachi Barrett for Bridge Detroit. I'm going to do a little quick rundown of the story real quick. So Detroit City Council member Mary Waters is partnering with conservatives on a proposal that aims to make Michigan the first state to eliminate property taxes. Excuse me. See, the weather is changing and my voice is froggy. Mary Waters invited Kent County activist Carla Wagner to virtually attend a September 28th town hall where the pair promoted efforts to change the state constitution through a proposed ballot measure. Wagner Wagner argued property taxes are hurting homeowners, small businesses and farms and should be eliminated to prevent foreclosures. The proposal also seeks to eliminate revenue used to fund public libraries, museums or zoos. But Wagner argued that those institutions should charge admission fees instead. Here's the quote. There is going to be sacrifices that have to be made and priorities and adjustments to be made. But the most important thing is to stop creating homeless people, Wagner said in an interview, a ballot petition introduced by Axe Michigan Tax or Axe MI Tax, a nonprofit formed by Wagner in February, would prohibit taxation of property and require a two thirds supermajority in the state legislature to increase revenue. It will replace a portion of lost revenue for local governments by reallocating portions of other state taxes like the sales tax and taxes collected on alcohol, tobacco and marijuana. Property taxes represent the main source of funding for local governments and school districts across the state. Critics of the ballot initiative argue the loss of this revenue would be difficult to make up through adjustments and other taxes alone. The proposal comes amid widespread acknowledgement among Detroit officials that high property tax rates are a barrier to development and home ownership. Here's the quote. I believe it's worth taking a look at, Water said in an interview. There are too many people who lost their homes to property taxes, and it would take a tremendous amount of stress off so many families if they had property tax relief. Wagner and Waters focused on the potential benefit for homeowners when speaking with residents at a September 28th community meeting. They said Detroit's high property tax rates put homeowners at an equally high risk of foreclosure. The proposal also was promoted as an alternative to Mayor Mike Duggan's land value tax plan. Duggan is supporting a bill package that would allow Detroit to reduce taxes on buildings by 14 mils and increase taxes on vacant land by 104 mils, more than double the current levy. He says the average homeowner will automatically save $184 on their tax bills if the legislation is approved by Michigan lawmakers. Waters has come out in opposition to the plan as she seeks more data on how tax bills would change. It's interesting. She wants more data on that. She said Duggan's plan is untested and unproven. Wagner said high property taxes are a barrier for real estate development, causing cities like Detroit to hand out large taxpayer funded subsidies to help finance projects. Wagner criticized Democratic governor, Governor Whitmer for allowing large businesses to avoid paying property taxes while continuing to charge Michigan residents. And so there is a lot going on here. And I asked Malachi Barrett here to help us suss out through a lot of the noise and get to the root of it. So Wagner, uh, a conservative out of Kent County, which is on the west side of the state, started a nonprofit in February for the sole purpose to lobby residents in the state, By a petition and signatures, signature gathering. So this could eventually go on the ballot to eliminate property taxes in Michigan and any other law or statute that will circumvent that elimination. Malachi, what do you know? How have these conversations been going? And it's interesting to me that Mary Waters wants data on this split uh, land value tax that uh, Duggan's office is coming out with. <laughs> but it's presenting no real data <laughs> on how to really pay for the absence of property taxes in Michigan. Malachi, what is she saying? So what what really stood out to me
1: about this, we've been hearing a lot
0: of conversations
1: around the land value tax as the mayor, you know, pushes for this package of bills in the state legislature in Lansing, you know, council members have been holding town halls with residents to help them better understand they've been getting, you know, the assessor. And so this kind of came out of that, just, you know, kind of paying attention to those meetings. What really stood out to me is that this is a pretty uncommon alliance between you know, West Michigan Republican organizer
0: mm-hmm. um, who
1: actually ran a campaign for a gubernatorial candidate who ended up not making the ballot for some complicated reasons. But, you know, basically a Republican party kind of operative as well as like a, re, a real estate developer in West Michigan, partnering with a, you know, a Democratic uh, member of our city council here in the city. It's just something It's Former not, Democratic legislature. Yeah, Le- exactly. legislator. Yeah. You don't see that very often. Sure don't. I think there's some compelling aspects of this plan that she has latched onto uh, mary waters but it's also kind of interesting to look at this in the context of wagner has been on the road in michigan for the better part of a year basically um trying to promote this uh this idea this this proposal to get on the ballot to eliminate uh, all property taxes you know local state and federal and she's been invited by republican groups across the state to promote this uh she spoke at the mackinac republican <laughs> leadership conference Sensei. which is like the big conference republicans have every yeah. two years two years. And our our colleagues over at Bridge, Michigan were there. And here's a quote from her, because I think the big, you know, there's a compelling when we talk about foreclosures and relieving the property tax burden on homeowners. I think there's a lot of agreement there. There's a
0: lot of incentive for people to want to buy into that. Yeah, exactly.
1: But the downside is, you know, schools, libraries, local governments, Police fire. I mean, these are all funded through property taxes. Yeah, read right? the fine print, y'all. So at Mackinac, someone asked her, you know, what what do we do about schools and libraries that rely on property taxes to maintain their buildings? And uh, Carla Wagner with the ex my tax uh, organization said, Let them fail. We're getting poor education, we're getting libraries with sick books in them. Let them fail, she said.
0: So this is, you know, uh, this is really interesting coming from a woman who ran, you know, a campaign of a gubernatorial candidate who pleaded guilty to illegally entering the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. I know you didn't want to say it, but I said it. Oh, I'm happy to say um, it. We, we reported on that back at the time. Yeah, yeah. Back at the time. But, you know, what is really interesting to me is that Mary Waters is not able to see that this is also an outright campaign to uh, get rid of of publicly funded uh, places like libraries and museums that tell stories and real histories, particularly about people that they don't want told, right? Um, And so this is also, for me, a part of the culture where Mary Waters is being used really as a pawn to advance legislation that Republicans want, that this Republican wants advanced because in the interim, it will also erase texts right you know there's this big conversation around banning books and fighting for who gets to help us remember and tell our stories and all of this is like mashed into one, but using, you know, property taxes as a dog whistle to rally folks who are really being hit hard by the property tax rate in the city of Detroit to sign their name to something like this. This is, this is absurd. And the other fact is those other state taxes will not cover what property taxes bring in. And so instead of getting rid of property taxes, how about how about we stop over-assessing? Number one, like let's 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 fix what we have. How about we stop giving away millions and millions of dollars in tax subsidy to developers and corporations that can afford to pay on the backs of Detroiters? And how about we figure out how to automate property tax exemptions for people who are already living in poverty? Like there is a way to do this and do it right without um, closing places like our libraries and our museums and, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. this is just so heavy handed. I think and, it's
1: interesting the way she, she talks about this Wagner, when yeah. she comes to a city like Detroit to talk about the things that she would find appealing because that idea of uh taxpayer funded subsidies to large developers is a conversation we've been having in Detroit for a long time. That Detroiters are tired of. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of interesting overlap happening at the state level where people who are kind of on the more progressive uh, left and folks who are kind of on the more, I guess, hard right are really opposed to the idea of like handouts for big business. right? And you're seeing this in opposition to what Governor Whitmer is trying to do with like these battery plants in in Marshall and, you know, automotive plants across the state that have been getting some pretty massive uh, taxpayer subsidies. But the key difference, the, the the main difference here in Detroit, is that these organizations are fighting against the tax abatements because it's taking money in their mind from libraries and schools, and eliminating property taxes altogether. You know, just it gets rid of that funding source. And I think it's important to say that this is a pretty unrealistic. And it's so random. And I think Mary Waters is so random for aligning herself with this. What's her logic? I think from her mind, she's looking to deliver a large tax. Uh, decrease to homeowners, and I think she's honestly. You know, we talk about where is the money going to come from to to replace this loss of revenue. You know, they they talk about well, we'll shift some of the state share of alcohol and marijuana taxes. I don't think there's enough money there in the first place. But when I tried to ask her about this, she was just kind of on face value saying, "I think they've got this figured out. I think they've got you know." She basically trusted the the organizers, the petition that they've. Done their research and that the money will kind of shake out. And it wasn't necessarily clear to me that, you know, we would be able to have a really detailed conversation about that, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition with the land value tax, where there's so much kind of skepticism on how the financial, you know, aspects of that plan will work. And why is there skepticism around that? It seems like there's not as much applied to this. But I think, you know, the skepticism around the land value tax, you could probably point to a couple things. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the city was. You know, homeowners here have been overtaxed by $600 million, right? Mm-hmm. That's very fresh in people's minds, led to a wave of foreclosures. Nobody has been made whole from that. Um, you know, there's still been a resistance on the part of the city to, you know, find a legal way to to provide some relief there. So folks are still pretty upset about that. And like you said, you know, they want them, they want the city to fix the assessment division first. Um, organizations like um, the Coalition for Property Tax Justice has, continue to put out research suggesting the lowest valued homes are being illegally overtaxed. And so this is a, you know, an ongoing problem that kind of needs to get fixed first, um, they will say. Um, and then I think there's also, uh, you know, some skepticism of this because it wasn't that long ago the mayor went to Lansing with a plan to save people money. That was the auto insurance oh, reform. Auto insurance. Right. And that hasn't really delivered the, the benefits. I mean, yeah, I still pay
0: an astronomically high premium for automotive insurance in the city of Detroit. But, you know, it's interesting to me that once again, Mary Waters is making headlines. I I remember the last big thing where she made headlines is her proposing a resolution to rename Hart Plaza. And now it's this what I really find to be random and outlandish um, initiative to get rid of property taxes in Michigan altogether. And one of the things that I would posit in this conversation is that there are so many more important and weighty policy discussions to be had in the city of Detroit for and with the residents of the city of Detroit, than these things that she keeps putting forward. And I, I if I, if I had her audience, I would really, especially as a former legislator in the state legislature, I would really challenge her on. I would really challenge her on this and why she sees this as feasible and why she sees this as something to hang her hat on. When there are many, many, many challenges that Detroiters are facing, and many bills that have been drafted that can actually do something and move the needle on something. And some of these issues, you know, if we could, we could take a look at Mary's uh, people's bills. The council president, Mary Sheffield, excuse me. Um, I ju- I just find it random and really disheartening that it seems like we have a council person that's really so out of touch with what's happening on the pavements of neighborhoods. I mean, you said it. Detroit is expected to collect $130 million in property tax revenue for the current 2024 fiscal year. The city collects more revenue from income taxes, $396 million, state revenue sharing, $224 million, and gambling, gambling taxes, $256 million. The proposal is being promoted as other city leaders acknowledge the high tax burden Detroit residents face. I don't think it's fair to contextualize this that way right in terms of mary water saying the traders are overburdened so let's eliminate the tax burden because people who are overburdened will probably hear that and hear that alone and say yes let's do it without reading the fine print first of all public services right in addition to libraries and museums and stuff being at risk our public service. you like it you like it trash being picked up (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's like essential services (laughs) essential services the kind of basic stuff we expect could be eliminated it doesn't make any sense and shame on shame on mary waters and yes i said it we got to take a quick break more when we come back stick with us
4: founded in 2021 the Stottemeyer is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of detroit Membership in the Stottemeyer is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stottemeyer offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the Neighborhood Tech Hub, and more. Members who are residents of the East Side have access to exclusive services in the Wellness Network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org.
1: Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroiters rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that asks the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit bridgedetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit, by Detroiters
0: for Detroiters. Welcome back to Authentically Detroit. It's me, Orlando Bailey, and I'm here with Malachi Barrett, Nishrat Rahman, and Sarah Beth Maney. Uh, of ProPublica, newly a ProPublica, uh, Nishrat and Malachi. work with Bridge Detroit. Um, and we are here. I've asked Sarah Beth, or SB, and Nishrat to come to talk about a really, really compelling story that ran in Bridge Detroit just a few weeks ago, chronicling... Um, you know, this 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 journey that Tanya Hogan went on from living in a shelter to living in a house. The story is found on Breachetrait.com. The headline is From Shelter to Home, How One Woman Climbed Out of Homelessness. And when I tell you, it was one of the best pieces of journalism I've read all year and I've met I've read many pieces of journalism all year. But I, I'm really so appreciative of this story. So uh, we are gonna do just a quick rundown of the story and then we're going to get into it, OK, because we want folks who haven't read it to know what the gist of it is. And so it really starts off like this. For the first time in her life, Tanya Hogan was without a home. In 2022, Hogan's husband died from COVID-19 complications. Soon after, Hogan was unable to pay the bills as she grappled with grief and health challenges of her own. Lost the home they hoped to own one day through a land contract, which was a three bedroom bungalow in Detroit's Grandmont neighborhood. Here's the quote. I had never been in a shelter, never thought that I would be in a shelter. Hogan, who's 50 years old, said Hogan is part of a growing number of women and families in Detroit, Hamtramck and Highland Park who are homeless. In 2022, the number of women identified as homeless in shelters rose 18 percent, according to the Homeless Action Network of Detroit. The number of unhoused families went up 14 percent during the same period. For these groups, the need for shelter far outweighs the number of beds available. What we're seeing in the homeless community is this dynamic where women and children are being displaced at a rate that is really unprecedented, said Linda Little, president and CEO of Neighborhood Service Organization. Homelessness, housing experts say, is not a monolith. It has multiple root causes from mental health challenges and substance abuse to evictions and affordability hurdles. It's a family living out of a car. It's a person sleeping in a vacant home. It's a teenager couch surfing. These groups are likely uncounted. That means available data, which primarily tallies the unhoused in shelters and housing programs, doesn't paint a true portrait of the scale of homelessness across the city. Once people do find shelter space, the path out of homelessness can be arduous, with long wait times for housing choice vouchers and housing leads that turn out to be dead ends because of the shortage of affordable units and landlords willing to accept subsidies. Then comes the struggle to maintain stability once a person does have a roof over their head. When life happens and you have a series of events that causes you to have housing instability, the root cause of that is truly poverty, Linda Little said. When You don't have emergency funds and the bandwidth to withstand multiple life crises. It's easy to find yourself in an unstable housing situation. That's what happened to Hogan. The free press in Bridge Detroit followed her from a shelter to a home. And I just want to give kudos to Nushrat um, and the team at Bridge Detroit and the team at the Detroit Free Press for sticking with this story. We spent a lot of time, months on end, following Tanya. I want to give kudos to Sarah Beth for really uh, photographing um, a beautiful story, right? Um, Your photographs helped to aid Nushrat in her attempt to tell a really comprehensive story. Nushrat, how did you stumble upon Tanya? And how did you get her to agree to let you follow her around? I mean, this this story is almost a year in the making.
3: Right. That's a... Excellent question. So I was just reflecting on this the other day. So about a year ago, SB and I were on assignment. We were doing a separate story about housing choice vouchers and how difficult it is to get those federal subsidies. And we were, you know, out on assignment and we happened to meet Tanya. We didn't know her then. She was there with her, uh, you know, her dog Pepper. And we were just chatting with her. And she just started telling us her story. It was a little it'll, it was a little snippet of the story that you can read right now, but what stood out to us was how she, her 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 story illustrated all of the challenges that as a reporter I had been trying to really grapple with and explain to readers for the past two or so years. She, you know, experienced homelessness, her husband had passed away from covid complications. She was struggling to find an affordable place you know, medical health challenges, mental health challenges. It was this perfect storm and she was just trying so hard to claw her way out of it. And the way she was able to just explain it, we thought was really compelling. And it was really interesting because right before, you know, we were driving there together on assignment and we were like talking in the car. We were like, you know, at least for me, I've been reporting on these issues, but I really wanted to tell a narrative story to follow Mm. someone's journey. And that day we met we met Tanya and so we kind of talked to her and we were like, you know, your story is so powerful, Tanya. Would you be comfortable with SB and I following you as you try to get a house? Right. Because
0: she's, she's literally in active trauma. Exactly. Right. She's experiencing this in real time. Right. And then a reporter comes along and is like, Hey, can we follow you? What was her response?
3: She said, yes. Right. Mm. And that, that honestly, um, I mean, I feel like we ask people all the time, like, you know, we ask people to share the most vulnerable moments of their life. And we always try to be super respectful. But a lot of the times I expect people to say no. But she was like, yes. And her reasoning was, I'm not alone, right? It's not that like, I just want to, you know, I want to share my story and everyone needs to know my story. Her reasoning was, I'm not alone. There are countless women at the shelter who are experiencing the same thing. Much worse in her words because they have children, you know, they have young children and they're unhoused by themselves. And so she agreed right on the spot. And honestly, I didn't know we would be following her for that long. I think we followed her for about eight months or so, Uh, but it took her a very long time to land a house and we chronicled well we tried our best to chronicle all of the ups and downs yeah. and challenges along the way
0: we're gonna get into yeah. it but i want to uh, get to sb and talk about your initial reaction to meeting tanya and then her spilling out <laughs> this story what was going through your mind
2: yeah i was definitely thinking as a visual storyteller um what the future of tanya's story could look like i was sort of thinking ahead. And as I listened to Tanya sharing these vulnerable parts about her life with us, just literally minutes after meeting us, I sort of knew in my gut that this was someone that we could continue to follow because of how open Tanya was, but also because her mission and her goal was to really Mm -hmm. want to educate other people and provide resources for other people in the same situation that she Mm -hmm. was in. And... I'm just really grateful that she gave us the opportunity to yeah. continue to follow her.
0: Yeah, what I love about the story is that it was told with the utmost respect for her humanity. Right, right. She she is a human. The story mm-hmm. is centered in her, in her, in her experience, and in her humanity, which is all too often not the case when we're covering black cities and black people mm-hmm. experiencing uh, systems and institutions of oppression. The way Tanya is experiencing it. Um, I should also say that uh, we did ask Tanya to join us today, uh, but Tanya is experiencing still some some health challenges and was unable to be with us today. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about this the way that uh, number one the story is told in the way that the story is photographed and it's something that Linda Little said, who's the CEO of uh, NSO. Um, if you meet if you ha- if you have met Tanya in the grocery store. If you had met her, I don't know, uh dropping off her child to school even though I know she doesn't have little children, you would not know that um she was experiencing homelessness. At least from the the visual that we typically paint around what homelessness looks like, right? And I love the nuance that Linda Little drew out talking about Homelessness is layered in nuance. It's folks sleeping in their cars. It's not just the person that you see holding the sign up, you know, at the freeway. Nushrat, why was it so important for you, um, number one, to include that quote and to make sure that Tanya's humanity was left in this story?
3: I think my anchor for this story, I had a couple of anchors. One of them was to be extremely respectful of Tanya's story she was pouring her heart out. And I wanted to be very careful about respecting the story that we're telling and making sure she's on board. Another anchor, and I would say like the spine of the story was to complicate the narrative about homelessness in the city. And I think you can say that about the rest of the country. We have an idea of what homelessness looks like in our minds. And I think because we're stuck on that idea, we can brush it off easily. It's not my problem. And so with Tanya's story, we show readers that, you know, she's someone who, like she said, she's never experienced homelessness in her life. She's never lived in a shelter, but a number of financial setbacks, many of which were, you know, started by the COVID-19 pandemic that's what threw her into this cycle of homelessness that was very difficult for her to get out of and so we're showing I I would hope we're showing that you know anyone could experience homelessness but also that anyone could fall into housing insecurity Mm. it's not that black and white. It's very much so gray. And so we have a chunk in the story where we kind of break it down by the numbers and kind of broaden the spoke the the, the, the scope as well to talk about that Tanya is not alone. She's not, you know, one person. There are many other Detroiters and people across the country who are very much so in, in, in the same boat.
0: Yeah, I want to get into the numbers, but I also want to number one, just say that homelessness is not only a mental health issue. <laughs> I mean, and to relegate it to that is really doing a disservice. Because that means you what you're saying is anybody who experiences housing insecurity or homelessness um, has some sort of mental health challenges. I would say it in the reverse. Homelessness will probably cause mental health challenges further down the line. And so this what's in our lexicon and how we visualize homelessness as a nation needs to shift. And I think this story is doing a great job and changing our language and changing how we visualize it can you talk a little bit about just the timeline of events because it was so very compelling around her her falling into homelessness sb i mean she just got married right uh four months later after she's married her husband passes away and that's on the same day that her mother passed away Mm -hmm. right and then (laughs) <laughs> you. The story says that as she's planning her husband's funeral, she's also packing up her house because she knows that she's going to lose it. Mm-hmm. So take us through this timeline of events.
3: Right, I mean, you laid out the most startling part about this. You know, everything happened so rapidly for her. She lost her housing in a matter of a few months, right on the heels of her husband passing. One of the things Tanya you know, would say over and over again throughout our conversations is that I was still grieving. I was mm-hmm. still grieving, and even at the shelter, you know, it took her a couple of days to get into shelter. She stayed with, you know, an acquaintance. She lived out of her car for a little bit, and you know, she and by had, a
0: couple of days we mean a few months. Yeah,
3: exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, a couple of weeks and, and days. Yeah. You know, unhoused, and then she got into a shelter, right? But even that, trying to get into a shelter, was a major struggle. Even there, you know, we we toured the 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 room. You know, she had a roof over her head, but it was the size of a closet, right? And that's difficult. Yeah, no yeah.
0: windows. You said it's just you,
2: like a eight by eight box, almost like. Right.
0: Just, and Esme, you yeah. photographed it, and it, it's really like you. There's Pepper, the dog. There, oh my gosh. And then the crates with her most valuable belongings so that she can make, you know, in a crate that something would normally go in a drawer, a chest of drawers. And
2: it was so tiny and difficult to photograph, even with a wide lens on and me being in the corner of the room. I couldn't even show what it looked like because it was so small being in there. It was hard to get a really good view of it. And yeah, she used crates as, you know, makeshift drawers to put her belongings in. And then the rest of her stuff was in storage, which was another struggle for Mm -hmm. her financially paying for the storage and trying to get people to help her to get her belongings out because she was dealing with all of that physical pain uh, that she had been in.
0: Do you all have uh, any idea around the scope and how massive homelessness is in the city of Detroit outside of you know, who we are able to count, you know what I mean? Like the story also lays bare that, you know, we we're counting folks who come in contact with some sort of system or some kind of aid or requesting aid, but there are so many people who don't. Do we have any idea how large this is? How large over I think that's a
3: a very good question. It's very difficult to point point, you know, point out, um, one of the things that I kind of struggled with in this story was trying to capture the scope of homelessness in the, in and around the city, but just a few numbers, I think that we included, I could point out. So in 2020, there were 4,804 people in shelters, right? So these are folks who are counted. Mm-hmm. That's 2022. Up, right, in 2022, that's up 11% from the year before. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're considering people who we may not traditionally count, that's called a point in time count. And that's usually done once a year. So a one night count of homelessness um, in January, 2022, identified 223 single women. That's up a staggering 31% compared with January of 2021, if we consider 2022 in terms of families, we saw a 133% increase from 2021. So that's one of the main, you know, points in the story is that, again, Tanya is not alone. We're seeing an increased number of, you know, single women and families experiencing homelessness in the city year over year.
0: And that's just who we are able to count. Right. Right. (laughs) Which is, which is insane. So I, I have a ton uh, more questions. We're going to go for a quick break and we're going to be right back with SB in this ride to talk more about Tanya Hogan's story from shelter to a home. We'll be right back. Keep it locked. Have you always dreamed of being on the
1: airwaves? Well, the Detroit Eastside Engage Podcast Network, or DEEP for short, is here to make that dream a reality. Located inside the Stottemeyer, the DEEP Network offers studio space and production staff to help get your podcast idea off the ground. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get started. Just visit the Authentically Detroit page at ecn-detroit.org or call Sarah at
0: 313-948-0344.
4: Founded in 2021, the Stottemeyer is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stottemeyer is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stottemeyer offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org.
0: Welcome back to Authentically Detroit. We are back with Nushrat, Malachi, and Espy talking about the story that ran in Detroit um, a few weeks ago, chronicling uh, the journey to you know, a home for um, a resident in the person of Tanya Hogan. Malachi, I'm gonna to you. One thing that like really stood out to me in this story was was how
1: her crisis was spurred by the pandemic in a way that I feel like we don't talk about or we don't really think about when we uh, discuss, like, the, the impact of the pandemic on uh, on this homelessness issue. We received, like, these these big increases of numbers, um, you know, from 19 to where we're at now. Um, and, you know, her, her husband uh, tragically died of, of COVID, you know, four months after they got married, and that was kind of part of what kind of spiraled this whole situation. And it just made me kind of curious, like, how many— families are kind of in similar situations where like their primary breadwinner or somebody that, you know, is a, is a foundational kind of support to that family, um, you know, died due to the, the pandemic. And, you know, it just feels like that's a less, I don't know, less discussed effort as, as opposed to like the job losses and mm-hmm. the kind of financial insecurity that comes with some of that stuff.
3: Yeah, I know that there's been some stories done about, you know, the children who lost parents, uh, you know, to covid who are orphaned essentially, right? And so I think you bring up a good point about just the personal impact of these losses. One of the most salient points you know, if we're talking about financial stability with Tanya's story is how she didn't really have savings to to kind of weather through the storm. And I think the pandemic taught us that, like, yes, there was this huge infusion of aid, but did it reach everyone? Who are the people that fell through the cracks? And I think Tanya is an example of that, right? Like she is someone who fell through the cracks and was very much so struggling to navigate the various systems that were standing in her way.
1: I feel like people would be kind of shocked to realize, too, that we don't actually have an accurate number of how many, uh, you know, people experiencing homelessness mm. there are in in Detroit. The, the methods that we go about and obviously some of it's difficult because this is a population that's difficult to reach already. But but SV, can you tell us more about like what the point in time count kind of looks like? And like, I mean, they, they just physically like go out and try to find people on one night. It doesn't seem like the best way to kind of get a picture of how many people are. in. Is that situation. what they do? They right. go
0: out into the streets, try to find. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Walk us through that.
2: Yeah, Nushrat and I actually went on one of those point-in-time counts in uh, January of last year. I believe it was a December or January? Sometime around then, yep. In mm-hmm. the winter. I remember it was snowing. It was very cold. Mm-hmm. And we went out with—we uh, were in a a car of maybe three or four other volunteers, and we drove around um, an area and just looked for people. You know, we would get out and walk in the dark and um, walk through parks Um, we walked near the police station, just, you know, looking under overpasses and such, and we were out for maybe three or four hours. And I remember we went back to the meeting place where all the other other volunteers left from. And, um, I think they had only found maybe a couple of people Mm -hmm. that whole night, but our group, we weren't able to, to find anybody. And it makes me also think about all of the individuals who are in abandoned homes and buildings that, uh, these volunteers aren't going in and those people aren't being accounted for.
1: And each one of these people found or not found has, you know, their own complicated Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. that, that got them to where they are. Right. And I think that's why this story is really important because it, it peels back some of the complexity that people don't realize. They don't realize that she had been applying for five jobs, you know, all at once while still grieving her husband. Like they don't see the amount of work that goes into being homeless and like mm-hmm. trying to survive day to day. Right. I mean, what what was, I, I guess I'd be curious to like hear what you guys learned or like what kind of perceptions about homelessness changed like through doing mm-hmm. this reporting project.
2: Well, I think what you just mentioned was so important about the work that actually goes into it on the back end. Like mm-hmm. you can easily look at somebody and think, oh, well, they're in this situation. They must not be doing anything to get themselves out of it. But when we met Tanya, she had a notebook of, 30, 20, 30 pages just filled with different places that different apartment complexes she was looking into, um, keeping the, you know, all the details written down of what she was researching. And that was really striking because she had spent all of her hours during the day doing this. That was essentially like a full time job for her, just visiting these different apartment complexes. Mm
0: -hmm. What's also really palpable is that, you know, The situation is also really indicative of the experience or potential experience of so many Detroiters. And the story highlights that so many Detroiters are one unexpected bill, financial crisis away from experiencing the same thing. Like if there is an unexpected emergency worth $400, Mm -hmm. you know, that can literally alter a family's trajectory, right? Right. And so, you know, thinking about that and learning about that, there were some, you know, solutions highlighted in the story <laughs> that really blew my mind um around this. And one of the one Nisra, right, tell us about one of the solutions that was that was proposed by a practitioner in the story around folks who are actually living in their cars.
3: Right. So one of the um you know, points that was mentioned was that because we're seeing a large increase of families um, and we don't necessarily have affordable housing that's available stood up to have, you know, space available in parking lots because a lot of families are are living in their cars. And I mean, I understand where it's coming from. But I mean, that to me was really grim. Right. Because it highlights the fact that A, we're seeing a lot of families experiencing homelessness, but B, we don't have the space available for right.
0: them. Quality in affordable space. Talk a little bit about um Tanya's quest for a housing choice voucher um, and what the process was, when did she get it, and is she housed now?
3: Yeah, yeah. So we, she, for months, you know, I I think she was very optimistic that she would find a place, right? And I think she quickly realized, and we quickly realized, that it's a very, very arduous journey. Um, I I believe It was. I mean, you would come in. It was so funny.
0: (laughs) Malachi, (laughs) you remember this. Nusra would come in every editorial meeting, like, she's still looking yeah <laughs> like, with, that's the update like we don't have an update yeah but right. there were also yeah.
2: these moments where we thought she just found a place and we were all excited and then it would fall through yeah you know
3: I mean we visited one place with her in Dearborn and we all thought she would get it and then she we kept checking in every week like did you get it Tani did you get it no right and so but that happened over and over again but luckily she was eventually able to get a place. Um, so she's been, she was living in Detroit for a while and then she had to move to Melvindale, which uh, is where her apartment is. And fortunately she was able to get that place and SB and I were able to be there when she left the shelter. She was so happy and walk into that place. um, And a little update on where Tanya is right now. So she's living um, in that home still. And one thing that I will say is that readers who have read the story have Generously come out to support her. I I don't think I've ever seen any response like that from a story. Usually, and this is kind of sad. I (laughs) responses to stories I write that are similar to this are always like, "Why are they like? Why are they getting evicted? Why are they unhoused? Can't they pull themselves up by their bootstraps?" But for this story, people resonated with, and they were like, you know, they understood her story. And they wanted to help her out. One person was like, you know, I lost my daughter. I understand what she's going through. I had a kidney transplant surgery. I understand what she's going through. They really understood her story and they were willing to kind of help her out. So, you know, she was able to get her car back, luckily, and she's in a good spot right now. Um, but one thing we did highlight in the story is that like a roof is not enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can have the the house, but there are so many other challenges that come along with that. And I think Tanya very... You know, she she puts that very very well.
1: Your story ends on this really great moment of, I think, hope and and optimism that she's you know found this this housing situation and she's starting to kind of rebuild her life. Um, it also, like, I'm I'm kind of left with this kind of haunting note of like the grief that she has to work through still. You know, the health issues she has to deal with, and it makes me wonder like, what does it do to someone psychologically to go through this experience of being homeless and I think her, you know, you guys have done a lot to preserve her dignity throughout this. Like that's one of like the best things about the story is like just how respectful and, um, you know, you guys really, like I said, preserve her dignity, I think in a, in a great way, but like, what is she feeling after going through this? Like, has this had an effect on her, you know, her kind of psychological outlook? Is she getting help for those feelings that might've come up?
2: Yeah, I think that's really the sad part um, while following this journey. Um, just saying that Tanya really never got the chance to heal and to grieve in the proper way because of all of this stuff that she had on her plate to deal with. And now, you know, I go visit her and Nishrat goes and visit her, visits her as well. And we mm. see her unpacking, you know, all of her boxes still and getting her home in order. But there are things that she'll be unpacking that will bring up, that grief Mm. or bring up these parts of her family that's really strained. And, um, so it's like, she's still working through that, that mental challenge. But, um, I think having that roof over her head, uh, takes off that weight just a little bit, but it's still, you know, she's, she's dealing with Mm. a lot. And, um, just when I went to visit her last week, it was funny because there was a reader that, uh, got to her house at the same exact time and she came to bring her like a cabinet and some and some cups and uh, it was My just Lord. really beautiful to see um, the support mm-hmm. that people really care about Tanya and care about her story
0: yeah because I can imagine when you're in active trauma like that and you have you have to fight right right you, for her you know fight or flight and so a lot of those feelings were probably shelved um, in her quest mm-hmm. to you know, Get a home and go through, you know, this process. Talk about uh, housing choice vouchers. What what are they?
3: Right. So it's a very complicated system um, for something that that is supposed to help people. It's a federal program, and the idea is that it pays for a portion of your rent if you meet certain income requirements. Um, but the issue is that we you call know, it
0: Section Eight on the right, East Side. Yeah. Section
3: Eight or. It's often called Section A. I think mm-hmm. that's how many people are familiar with it. And it's different from project-based vouchers in that like, you're able to get the subsidy in your hand and find a place. But you need to find a landlord who's willing, willing to,
0: take, to it. take it. A and property that's exactly. up to code.
3: Exactly. And so you you run against a number of roadblocks. Um, and so we kind of talked about that in the Tanya story. We did do a story earlier in January that unpacks that. But, I mean, it's a resource. And a lot of advocates say it's a good thing, but it's very hard to use.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's also um, really, really tough Uh, for landlords who, who want to take folks on Section 8 to pass that Section 8 inspection right? So I imagine she probably had many false starts with mm-hmm. people saying, yeah, okay, but then they probably couldn't pass the expect the inspection. The other question I have and I know we got to wrap up is, you know, we're talking about quality, affordable housing and we know that there is indeed a shortage, right? There's But there's not a shortage of structures in the city of Detroit that could probably be acquired and rehabbed for that. Mm-hmm. But there is no conversation anymore in our lexicon about public housing. Why is that conversation disappearing?
3: Yeah, I think it's an important conversation to have, and our friends over at Outlier Media um, have done an excellent job digging into the Detroit Housing Commission and some of the challenges um, that, you know, folks are experiencing, whether it's the landlords or the tenants. But there's a good amount of public housing um, in the city, um, and, you know, it, the question remains, what is the condition of it you know, are people able to access it? How difficult is it to access? So I would point readers to that excellent coverage yeah. that Erin Mondry has been doing regarding yeah. public housing.
0: Shout out to outlier. All right, y'all. We can I ask one more question? Go for it. So I know,
1: as like somebody who has done you know longer stories, there's always stuff that you have to cut, and I'm wondering, like, is what there did anything you cut? what what didn't make it into this story that you still want folks to know about?
3: Do you have anything? My brain, I feel like I just dumped everything in there. (laughs) Right. I was going to say, I think all my
2: pictures made it in, which I was really happy about. I would say so. I don't think we
0: cut a lot. I've been in on, you know, the first copy, you know, since the first copy and watched it mature into what it is now. I was a part of the process. I don't think we cut a whole lot. No,
3: I don't think so. But I think what I will say is that there was like a scene where Tanya is like looking at a dear place and she's very excited. I don't know if I actually like wrote about it, but that's something that I initially thought I was going to write about is like her joy and excitement that she's going to get this place. And then she doesn't. Um, so we kind of like that became like one word or yeah. one sentence. Um, but yeah, the document was like several pages long. It was, <laughs> cause it, it, was. it chronicled everything.
0: Yeah. You'd, and you know, the, the feedback that we got from readers on this was really, really, uh, you know, a lot, actually, more than what we typically get. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there is a demand, like, do a follow-up. Make sure we y'all keep us in the loop on this This woman. My mother <laughs> called me and was like, <laughs> I sweet. read this story. <laughs> and oh my gosh, this is really a problem. And so um, what um, I, I want to say this around, like, the voice uh, that we are trying to build out at Bridge Detroit I think that voice is crystallizing because of people like Sarah Beth and Malachi and Nushrat and our approach and making sure that we are rooted in people's Mm -hmm. humanity and in their story and telling it with the utmost respect was from the heart really does reach the heart. And I believe this story reached the heart of so, so many people because it was also their story. It was also their story. So, Nushra SB, thank y'all for sticking with it. Thank you so much. For months on end. Oh, man, if you have stories that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at Detroit at gmail.com. Shout out to Tanya Hogan, uh, who is just hanging in there as a trooper. It's time for shout-outs, y'all. So I'm gonna give you guys an opportunity to shout out. Uh anybody you want to shout out, you know, make sure when we you know publish episode that you send it to your people, right? So who you want to shout out? Malachi, we'll start with you. Oh man, you're putting me in the It's easy. Spot. <laughs> this is easy for you, Malachi.
1: Uh, I'm gonna shout out my fiance there doesn't, we go. doesn't read expecting. a lot of what i write about so i'm gonna make her listen oh. to this because she likes audiobooks and she likes podcasts, so
0: it's so funny get the news, get yeah. the news honey <laughs> 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 it's hard to get the people closest to me to pay attention to what we do too that's right you have any shout outs
3: okay this is the first person that came to my mind it's someone who can't read it's my niece and she's oh. she's like eight months old but If she could read, I would send her my stories and I know she would be a full supporter of it.
0: Yeah, love it.
3: That's sweet. what about you? I want to shout out my Detroit Free Press family
2: because I'm really going to miss them. And it's been such a beautiful journey working at the Free Press. And shout out the Free Press, yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I have a few shout outs. Um, I want to shout out all of the winners of the Tech Town Salute Awards that I was able to emcee on Thursday. Uh, Detroit soul I got to make it over there and get some of that fried chicken that everybody is raving about um, and all of the small businesses that popped up and was giving demonstrations. It was really a sight to see. I also want to shout out Charity Dean Kai Bowman and the team at the Metro Detroit Black Business Alliance, who held their inaugural Black Wealth Summit on Friday, of which I was also able to be the MC of. It was a beautiful sight to see. It really was a sight for sore eyes to see all of these black folks in one room, 200 plus, a max capacity crowd, uh, talking about how we can help each other and advance each other in our quest for uh, thrival. Right. Um, and shout out to my co-host in her absence. Once again, Donna Gibbs davidson we miss you. Happy vacationing. Charity Dean is cooking over there, man. There seems like it's really been growing what they've been doing. It's been really amazing what she has been able to do. And for her, to, you know, have this idea and to get it funded by Stackwell and Huntington um, and Prudential and the announcements that were made and the investments. I mean, she was giving money away to black business owners on Friday as well. I mean, it was really just an amazing sight to see and folks really, you know, committed to helping each mm-hmm. other arise. Uh, we know that entrepreneurship is also an arduous journey. Right. And not not for the weak. So I really appreciate Being asked to, you know, also not just, you know, steward the energy of the day, but to be a witness to the day. It was amazing. All right, y'all, this is going to do it for this episode of Authentically Detroit. We thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.